Welcome to the Frontline Response to Health and Homelessness podcast series. This series is based upon the articles published in the March 2020 edition of Parity magazine. It gives voice to those with lived experience of homelessness, those working on the front line, and those that support the sector in delivering services to people who are homeless. My name is Dan Fleming and I'm delighted to introduce our host John Willis who leads the inclusive health team for St Vincent's Health Australia. John will introduce our guest in a moment. As we're recording during the COVID-19 pandemic, John and our guest will be with us by phone for this interview. So John Willis, over to you. Thanks Dan. Afternoon John, how are you going? G'day mate, how are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm going I'm not too bad considering. Yeah, that's a bit of an accent I can hear. Where, where's your background mate? Originally, I'm from um, the UK. I came over to Australia in uh, 2005 uh, when I was back nursing. Oh, fantastic. I, I yeah. sort of picked up something. But look, hey, thanks for your time to no be part of this podcast series, mate. Really appreciate it. So let me just do a, an introduction to you. So John's a, a peer worker with the Homeless Health Team at uh, St. D's in Sydney. Um, and part of this parody magazine, I think, John, the article that you've put in is a bit unique. Um, it's entitled Peer Worker on the Coalface of Homeless, Homelessness Health um, and you're the sole author of this one. So as you've said in your article, you've historically worked as a nurse and then experienced homelessness and now mm. back in the healthcare setting as a peer worker um, in the homeless health team. It's quite a journey and quite, we'll unpack that as we have a bit of a conversation. But in addition, you're our first peer worker on this series um, to be interviewing, but there's a few others lined up you'll be glad to know. Um, but you're our first. So maybe just right. to get started with, could you tell us a little bit about your personal experience with homelessness? Yeah, sure. Um, look, it's, 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 a, it's a convoluted story, um, but, you know, briefly, um, I was a, a fully functioning, normal, air quotes, member of society. Uh, I was um, a pretty successful ICU nurse um, I um, qualified with a degree back in the UK, back in the uh, late 90s and uh, wow. found my way into Australia and um, was working in some paediatrics and anyway, um, really, I mean, I first became homeless back in 2013, but it really started a, a wee bit before that when I was working out in um, Saudi Arabia and, and started to kind of Get a little bit, uh, I suppose, burnt out by the yeah. whole uh, by the whole experience of um, ICU. Um, anyway, uh, coming back to Australia back in OA and uh, through, I mean, I don't want to go into too many details. You know, I want to keep it as, um, as uh, in person as possible. But one of the one of my clients, um, one of my patients at the time. I was working very, very closely with, I went through some pretty traumatic stuff, um, yeah. some pretty horrific um, experiences with, and, uh, you know, it probably within three months, I was, um, I was stealing drugs from work. Um, yeah. I was um, using over-the-counter pain medications. Um, I'd become very depressed, very um, having you know horrific nightmares. It's basically PTSD. Yeah. Um, but at yep. the time, you know, I didn't, I didn't really notice it, and didn't really see it. And you know, I, I suppose, look, you know, the 
the, the, the world of the world of healthcare at the time was very much, you know, if 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 you can't stand the heat, then get out the kitchen, and um, you know, that was one of the, one one of the things, you know, I'd spent my entire life doing from being 18 up until being in my early 30s. I've been an intensive care nurse, and I'd looked around me, and nobody else seemed to be struggling. So I, you know, it was very much um, a lot of internalisation, and then I suppose what, what where, I'm, where I'm getting to is, is when I became homeless. Um, as I found with all, all the peers that I work with, all my peers, that um, trauma is probably the main reason that people become homeless. Mm, yeah. So having gone through all of this, um, and uh, you know, within two years, um, I'd given up my registration. Um, I, uh, my partner had left with my little girl. Lost my house, the car. Um, I was on New Start, and still thinking I was actually kind of hunky-dory. Um, mm. You know, I was going through, through um, you know, even drinking, you know, cough medicine and all kinds of different things just to yeah. take take me away from the, the feelings that I was feeling at the time. Yeah. So anyway, obviously, you know, none, none of that's sustainable and I, I ended up sleeping um, rough um, up in the Royal National Park for almost uh, six months. Um, I was on um, an opiate treatment program, um, trying to balance um, being a father, trying to work out exactly how I was going to get off this um, opiate treatment program, um, trying to work out how to have enough money just to live. And um, things got put to a point where, um, you know, I, I just couldn't do it. I, I had a, a, a catharsis and um, yeah. realized that... Uh, I had to surrender. I had to surrender. I could just couldn't keep doing this. Um, so I went to um, a, a few rehabs over a few, a few years, over two or three years, um, uh, interspersed with periods of homelessness. Um, and finally um, got through a rehab to a point where I was on a, a smaller dose of my opiate replacement. And... Um, uh, through one thing or another, I got discharged. Uh, rehabs uh, aren't, aren't easy, trust me. Um, but I got discharged, and I was still on a, on a dose of, of, of replacement therapy. So, um, one day I, I decided, you know what, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to do this anymore. And um, I found the strength to, to, to just. I was going to a lot of um, twelve-step meetings at the time, a lot of um, NA, especially. And I stood up and I identified as one day clean and. From there, I did three meetings a day and got myself straight and sober. Um, all the time, still either couch surfing or just basically staying up and being homeless. Mm. Um, and it wasn't until I got into a crisis accommodation, which uh, is still considered to be a, a form of homelessness, a tertiary homelessness, um, with Mission Australia, and stayed there for seven months. and. Um, yeah, you know, I'm, wow. it, it, it wow. came out to the side. Wow. Well, let me jump in there. Look, thank you, John, for sharing that story with us. We, it's very privileged for you to do that. And wow, what a story. That that history of trauma, I think you're absolutely right and can hit anyone. Um, yeah. And how we all respond to trauma is, is, is um, a, a very complex thing. And particularly in ICU, that idea that you talked about looking around at others and thinking they're all fine. I think as human beings, we're very good at hiding things. Um, mm. And 
I think sometimes you can look at someone and think they're doing fine, but unless you ask and unpack a little bit, sometimes you don't know. But look, one of the things I wanted to ask you, John, was um, when when you were going through these these periods, what was it like trying to access health services? I mean, it sounds like you've definitely reached out over a number of times. What was it like? So, so the, 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 the main, I think probably one of the turning points for me was um, a night where uh, my, um, I think anybody who listened to this who's had experience with um, um, drug and alcohol misuse, um, addiction, whatever um, you want to call it, um, is able to turn around and say that, that there's nothing can stop you using. Usually, you know, the, the, you know, there was many times I stood at the end of my little girl's bed while she was sleeping, so I'll never use again, and then wake up the next morning and just go and do exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. And there was one particular evening I had a, a massive argument with, with my partner, and she marched off to her parents' house um, to the, my little girl. And I thought, you know, I'm going to, I'm, I'm, that's it, I'm going to end my life, I'm going to, I'm going to kill myself. Yeah. So I went out and, and got the necessary things and um, sat alone on the sofa. And through an act of providence, my partner, my ex-partner, um, Cheers, um, was really worried about me and called the cops just to come do a, a, a checkup on me. Yeah. And just do a welfare check. And, and they arrived and... Um, it took them, you know, a few hours to talk me out, but eventually I got out. And healthcare, healthcare was uh, at that time it was forced on me. It was like, look, you need to get this sorted. You need, if you want to keep living, you need to go and see somebody. So to begin with, um, when I first came homeless, the, the 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 first person and the only person I really had was my drug and alcohol workers. Yeah. Um, and obviously they say, as, as, as I do and as my, 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 um, my colleagues in my job, uh, um, we, 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 they, they see numerous amounts of things and the, the, the continual keep coming back, it doesn't matter what happens, just keep in touch with us, just make sure that you're safe, keep coming back to us, keep making sure you come back to us and and we'll be here for you. That yeah. was, for me, the, the the time where I thought, okay, look, maybe, maybe I do need, I do need help. Yeah. Um, staying in touch with a, a GP was difficult because I was I was moving around quite a lot, but especially before I went into rehab, I had to get into the temporary accommodation kind of cycle and being moved from one day I might have been in Ryde, the next day I might have been over in Burwood, the next day I might have been over in Bondi. Actually, yeah. having a, a GP was difficult and uh, keeping in touch with a regular healthcare. But I had the um, I had these healthcare workers who were at these clinics, and and they they, they were the ones that helped me to start to get involved um, with dealing with my trauma. So seeing psychologists, seeing um, a psychiatrist to deal with depression and anxiety. Um, yeah. But for me, until I was ready to access healthcare. I I, do, I I just was resistant to the whole idea um, yeah. because I thought the fact of myself medicating was something that was I, I was doing a good enough job by myself. So, so the couple of things there is about the always keep coming back and asking and checking in with someone. So that's a bit of a 
take home message. Is that right, John? So always yeah, keep absolutely. And 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 it, it's it's something that I, I I say to my peers, the the, the peers that I work with every day, whether they're rough sleepers or they're, they're people that are coming through the other side of homelessness, that no matter what happens, no matter if you use again, no matter if you decide that you don't want to stay at home and you want to sleep out, keep coming back. The, 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 the doors can sometimes feel like they're getting narrower and narrower and narrower. And yeah. shame and guilt, um, not guilt so much, guilt's a healthy emotion, I think it helps us to determine what's right and what's wrong. But shame, being able to be thinking that we're letting people down, that people are putting faith in us and then we're just letting them down, is something that, keep, that, that can drive people away from healthcare and can drive people away from, 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 from accessing services that they really do need. So I always say to my peers, just please keep on back. It doesn't matter what happens to you, where you go, just come back and see me. We can sit down, we can have a cup of tea and we can talk. Fabulous. Oh, that's really good. Now, there, there, one, there is one other thing that you've mentioned there, and I think I'll come back to it. It's about GPs, but just let's park that mm. for the moment. Some of the people listening to this podcast, look, many will know exactly what you mean by peer worker, but some may not. And because mm. you're our first one on, John, could you just tell us what does a peer worker do? So, so when when I first, um, <laughs> and I wrote about it in the article, when 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 I first came from interview peer working, it was. Um, the, one of the main, well, the, in fact, probably the only um, kind of stipulation there was that I have a lived experience of homelessness. So it was being being a peer worker on the ground in homeless health means that I can go to um, a peer on the street, um, introduce myself, and say, "Hi, look, you know, I'm John. I'm." not a clinician, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a nurse, I'm not a doctor. I'm a guy who's been through, uh, I've, been, I've walked a mile in your shoes. I understand where you're coming from. What do you need right now? It's almost as if you're breaking down that wall of us and them. Yeah. From the very beginning, so it's mm. you know I, I I mentioned very heavily that um, everybody that I that I see as part of my job, they're just as much as part of my recovery as I am of theirs, mm. and so there's always something to learn from the people that I approach. So anyway, so peer work basically the, the first tenement of, of peer peer working should always be to try and inspire hope that recovery is possible from homelessness. Yeah, without hope. There can't be any trust. Without any trust, then there's 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 just nothing. We're never going to crack the shell of even the heart, most hardened um, street sleepers. Um, you know, it's, it's just not going to happen. So to be able to go out there and say, look, you know, I've been in your shoes and I've come through the other side. These are some of the things I've done. These are some of the places I've been. Um, I'm, I'm by by just very nature pretty much typically an oversharer, so I, I will share my story because I part of recovery for me has been being able to own my story. Not to say that I'm proud of some of the things I've done in any way, shape, or form, and not to say that I'm ashamed of them. I have guilt around a lot of stuff, but it's also a matter of being able to move forward to say I've lost enough. I've lost too much and I don't want to keep losing so where do I go from here 
And the first step for a lot of people is to is to know that you can to make a step in the right direction. So for me, another part of my job is helping people to access the clinicians that we have. We've got amazing actual good alcohol clinicians, um, mental health clinicians. Um, we've got great social workers on our team. We've got a GP and a psychiatrist. Um, and with the homeless health service at some instance, we'll work along a, a no um, no wrong door policy. Love so it. if somebody yep. comes to me and says, you know, oh, John, I'm, I'm struggling with so-and-so, um, I'm, I'm struggling with, um, I've noticed that I'm drinking a bit, 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 bit more than before. Okay, so look, we'll try and plug you in with one of our drug and alcohol workers. Mm. Um, we, we, we've got also got an assertive outreach team who work uh, on a very much on a case management basis um, and we've also got what's called the hot team, the homeless outreach team which works very acutely with very acute issues um, yeah. that present themselves. Mm. Yeah, well we're going to be speaking to Erin Longbottom later and she'll tell yeah. us a little bit about, about one of those teams but there was a, a phrase you used in your article, and you've touched on it, but I, uh, it's this idea of the people you're working with are your peers, not your clients. And yeah. I know from my personal experience working in, in mental health out in the community many years ago, there was this idea of being a professional worker, uh, and it's, you know, there was a bit of this us and them. But what I was, and I, and I think you've unpacked that beautifully, but what I'm interested in is what example I, do you think you've given to those other clinicians around you that are, I don't know, professional, you know, or whatever you want to call doctors, nurses, social workers. Mm. What's your influence been on them, do you think? I think early on, um, a lot of people didn't really understand. And I mean, look, as, 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 as I really didn't understand what home, what peer work looked like within the homeless health um, kind of um, forum. Um, what value did my experience have to other people? Um, and I think I'll give one example um, that, that we're noticing more and more of now and it's becoming more and more prevalent and, and I, I, I'm, I don't want to hijack your phrase but we're starting to unpack is this um, an idea of what's called transitional trauma so mm -hmm. going from being homeless to being homed to being sleeping out to sleeping in and I myself have gone through this quite recently you know, for the first time in almost seven years, I've just signed my lease on a lease on a on a unit, private unit. Well done. And yeah, and you know what? Like I say, it took me seven years, but I got there. But I'm still having. I still can't sleep more than I haven't managed to sleep more than five nights in that place at once. Okay. Because it's isolating. Being back in again air quotes normal surroundings, I've got my TV, I've got an Xbox, I've got a coffee machine and a fridge freezer. <laughs> and got all the things that, well, I've, got, I've, got, I've got everything that I ever used to have, but I look around sometimes and I'll go, what am I supposed to do here? What, what, what is, what is, what, what's this purpose? What, what, what's the purpose of this? And we're seeing more and more of our clients um, especially as we've come into um, this current climate as we own as COVID-19, mm. giving out so much temporary accommodation to people. Yeah. And yet they're still going back out and sleeping down at Woolloomooloo or sleeping down at Town Hall or sleeping mm. down at Circular Quay because they just don't know how to be in a house. 
And so being able to say to somebody, yeah, you know, this, this, this your client, my peer, is, what's happening is, is they just don't know how to be in this situation. I can then step in and say, look, I, I can understand where you're coming from, and these are some of the some of the strategies I've come up with. You know, a lot of grounding techniques, a lot of distraction techniques, a lot of um, being able to make a gratitude list mm, when you're sitting that. in a room and saying, okay, so what are the five things I'm grateful for at the moment? I'm grateful for the fact that I'm dry. I've got air conditioning. There are curtains. I'm, I've got a bed to lay on. I've got yeah. a shower. You know, the, the, creating a gratitude list can often overcome that anxiety and, and, and uh, almost, um, tra- it is a trauma coming out of homelessness. Mm. Just as much homelessness as of itself is a trauma. Coming out of, of, of home, long-term homelessness is a trauma in itself. Mm. So th- I think that, that that's one of, the exam- one of the most recent examples that we're seeing. And it's something I recognized in myself and, I was very open with everybody that, um, you know, I actually feel like all I want to do here is, is, is drink and just block this out because yeah. I'm feeling so much. I'm feeling traumatized. Overwhelmed. I'm feeling yeah. overwhelmed. Mm. And again, mm. so what I've done is I've reconnected. I've started to, you know, I, I, like I say, I'm an oversharer. So I'll come into work and I'll say, my God, you know, last night I, I just didn't know what to do myself and everything on Netflix is about the disaster and the end of the world and COVID <laughs> and, and, but people are just connecting with people. Yeah. That, that's been my, that's been my panacea, being able to sit down with people and go, yeah, this is what's going on for me. Um, and it's, it's been invaluable. Oh, look, John, in some ways what you're saying, I think it, being socially isolated, we're social creatures. Um, and and there's a few of us who are like being on our own for long periods, you know, full on introverts. But mm. I think for many of us do like to connect with others and and be able to share what's going on for us. Um, and I and I, yeah, I think you, you talking about that transitional trauma, any change from one place to another or one way of living to another way of living. I think again for all of us that's a common, but it's quite mm. acute. I think when you've talked about you know people coming from living homeless coming into living in a flat and I have heard that story before so um, from, I've read about that that experience but I haven't spoken to someone so thanks for mm. sharing that John that's, no, that's incre- incredibly powerful and for those listening it is a lot harder than you think to change from after but ending up on the streets to getting off the street it's quite a challenge yeah so, housing first it doesn't know housing first really doesn't isn't the the, the, the the cure the panacea. That would, the panacea that we would hope it would be. Um, you know, and obviously, you know, you can't have housing first unless you've got housing first. You know, we yeah. don't have the how the social housing. Um a lot of our uh, temporary accommodation is less than substa- less than um substandard and you know, I I know personally it took a great amount of effort to stay in some of the temporary accommodation that's offered. Um, you know, I had to be. You have to be very pragmatic about it. It's, it's a door, it's a bed, it's a roof, and that's all it is. That's what you have to use it for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the temporary accommodation in a, in a you know, it, it's a it's a massive struggle. Um, it's not the unfortunately, it's not the Hilton, and it's not um, you know all that kind of the the, the fantasy stuff. It is just a room and a door 
and sometimes you're sharing with people who are very, very ill in themselves, both physically and and and, and um, psychiatrically. So it can be a real challenge just even getting that ball rolling and getting into accommodation yourself. Yeah. Well, John, this has been amazing conversation, and we're coming to the close. But I, I wanted to ask you as a final question about what inspires you. Now, you talked about um, create, uh, drafting a gratitude list. And I, that's based on some very old um, religious principles from Christian traditions about being thankful at the end of the day for what mm-hmm. God, God's given you. And that from, that's probably from a more Christian perspective. But I wonder what's inspired you and what keeps you going and ma- wanting to make a difference with the people that you're spending a lot of time with who are probably very grateful of your presence, I'd imagine. I think... Um, I'm using I'm, I'm, I'm using the word think, but I'm, I'm going to actually bring this down a little bit and, I'm, and say I, I feel mm. that um, I, I never felt that this would ever happen to me. Yeah. Um, I never felt that this would be the the challenge in my life. Um, I never felt that this would be something that. Um, you know, one day I'd have to be talk, talking to my to my kids about. Um, what keeps me going at the end of the day? It, what one of one of the the sweetest things that somebody said to me so far is a gentleman that um, one of our AOD specialists was um, was uh, case managing, and uh, I was driving him to rehab. I managed to get him into rehab on um, uh, through some advocacy for for him and. He said, you know, Don, he says, look, this is the, the, the clinician, he said, you know, he said, he, he, he saved my life. He said, but he said, it was you and what your story is. He says, that made me realize that I've got a life that's worth saving. Mm, beautiful. And, um, you know, I, I, I shed a little tear internally about that because <laughs> oh, um, it makes me realize that I'm, I, I'm, I'm still on my own, my own journey of recovery. Um, from homelessness, from um, uh, from drug and alcohol use, uh, from mental health diagnosis, I'm still on my own journey of recovery. Mm. And um, for him to say that to me, uh, that that in itself made me more resolute in my recovery from homelessness. It made me more 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 resolute in, in this journey. So yeah, it, it's the little things like that that. Um, people, people that have had so much trauma and so much taken away from them that you can inspire somebody through just being there, having a chat, sharing your story, uh, helps people to realize that their life is worth more than a shot of heroin, it's worth more than a drink, it's worth more than sleeping in the, on, you know, on, a, on a horrible blanket in the middle of the park. Mm. Um, so yeah, so for me, it's it, it, it's it's little little times like that where where people have said you've inspired me, you've helped make this better. Um, oh, John, beautiful. Yeah. Oh, that that a life worth saving. That's that sums it all up. John, absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for your time and being so generous in sharing your story with us. Thanks. No worries, John. Thank you very much indeed for your time as well. Thanks. To subscribe to a printed copy of Parody Magazine, visit chp.org.au forward slash parity. 
This podcast series has been developed by St. Vincent's Health Australia. For more information about St. Vincent's, visit www.svha.org.au. The music track for this podcast is called Slow Burn by Kevin MacLeod, host of incompetech.filmmusic.io and is licensed under the Creative Commons 4.0 by Attributions Licence. This information, information about our guests and more can be found in the text under the podcast description. Thanks for listening.